What is recovery really, and how do I get there? Welcome to the Real Talk Recovery Podcast with the Therapy Brothers. We're brothers, we're therapists, and we know recovery. Bring your stories, your questions, your successes with real recovery. question <laughs> it's basically what the show's about right yeah it's yeah. well yeah but there's a lot to talk about because it's not yeah, so cut and dry so much, so. so much. yeah how yeah, you doing man. old man <laughs> i'm doing doing good you call me that because of the white beard you can see on my face in the video or what yeah the white beard the two new hips that you have <laughs> you know are you on a walker by now <laughs> <laughs> It's funny because we actually like went on this, like uh, I took my daughter Paisley on a horse ride this weekend to go like scouting because the deer hunt is coming up. She wants to hunt deer. And so we're going this year and we got, we go up this big tall mountain on the horses and it's so steep that we get like halfway up the mountain and the horses decide they don't want to walk anymore. <laughs> so, so here I am an old man with like two fake hips leading my own horse off the mountain, you know? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So I'm doing just fine, Brandon. Yeah. I can still get around. Yeah. Well, if you're, if you're still on the top of mountains, I guess so. Yeah. So, well, we have a special guest here today. Um, we have Colin with us and I know I've known Colin for a long time. He's a good, good man. And he's, a, he's a great therapist now too. So, um, Colin, welcome to the show. Hi guys. Um, Colin, if you could give us just a little bit of who you are and what's going on with you and then a little bit we'll of your kinda, story, we'll kind of start talking from there. Yeah, uh, guys, my name is Colin Hansen, um, and I'm a therapist out of the Vancouver, Washington area. Um, my story ultimately is um, uh, I was a sex addict in the past um, and uh, actually worked with Brandon uh, for a while. And um, I don't even know how many years ago that was. That was, that was a probably long 10, time ago. Yeah, that was probably like 10 years ago. And yeah. And so through my recovery process, um, I just remember kind of making a promise, you know, to my higher power, uh, which is important in recovery that uh, if I got through this, that I'd give back. And so, um, my 12th step out of the 12 steps basically is giving back and helping other people through the recovery process. So, and that led you into counseling. Yeah. 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 I remember, I mean, life was crazy. You had a bunch of young kids um, a lot of expenses going on in life and it, you still were like, no, I'm going to do this. And you started just from square one, um, back then and you followed through. Yeah, no, I was a super busy guy back then. I was working at a job that I don't know how many hours I was working. It was seven days a week. Um, you hated that job. Oh, I hated that job, yeah. you know, and, uh, it was really stressful and, and I was in my addiction. Um, my wife and I were having problems. We were still having children, you know, um, uh, I had no time. I think I, I don't know if it wasn't at that time I was going to school, but I remember shortly thereafter, I also started going to school. Um, so to become a therapist and it was just, it was crazy time. So yeah, very difficult for me. I remember if you don't mind me sharing this, but I remember when, when we first started together, I just thought, I don't know if, uh, speaking of recovery, I don't know if Colin's going to get there. 
Um, <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> I think a lot of people feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing. It's, I mean, you're the perfect person to talk to about recovery because um, I, you quickly became a rock star in, in the group and um, recovery started setting in. And, you know, from, from my vantage point, here's some things that I saw that I, I had my doubts. Um, there was, there was still some denial present. Um, but there was this like unwillingness to break out of that job. You felt trapped, you felt mm-hmm. stuck. And I knew the inputs in your life were not conducive to real recovery. And, and so I was like, man, like, how's he going to do this? How's he going to actually get himself out of these situations? Um, but you ultimately did Colin. So when we talk about recovery, I guess what I want to ask you is what, what were the important things to really push you to do the, the hard things to start to let go of some of, some of those most difficult things and face those darkest demons? What, what were the important things for you? Yeah. My answer to that would be life. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, though, um, you know, as I have um, experienced my own recovery and as I've watched other people recover, um, you know, I think people really worry about the decisions that they're making. Um, And I think, uh, again, I believe in a higher power and and God myself. um, And I think he's always he's always working through me and uh, in my life. And so you know, my work was not conducive. I mean, there were customers that I was seeing that, uh, did not, uh, improve my, my sexual sobriety and, um, just because the work required it. And, um, what I would say is I eventually got fired from that job. Um, and that job, you know, also evolved to a better place. So I, you know, early in my recovery, I was in a office all by myself, you know, um, which was definitely not helpful. Um, that job evolved where the company uh, bought another company and we moved into their offices. And that was super helpful because there's a lot more people around. Um, so that was another life experience. Um, uh, eventually I got fired. Um, and it was probably, um, the best thing that ever happened to me. I would not quit cause I thought I was making good money. Um, I didn't think I had the experience, um, to find a better job. I didn't think there was a better job out there for me. So all this mental health, like garbage running through my brain, held me back. And finally I got fired and I got into a job that was, you know, pretty good and allowed me to get out of the situation I was in. So life runs its course. Yeah. God, God had your back, right? You kind, of, kind of, kind of pushed you into it, forced you into making some of those big changes. Yeah. Well, and like- here's another Here's another life experience just real quick is I, I don't know if you remember this, Brandon, but somehow we ended up in Utah and met with Brandon. Um, and my wife at that time was so fed up with me. Uh, she asked Brandon, she says, I want to kick him out of the house, you know, and um, she didn't know if that was the right thing. And Brandon said, kick him out of the house. <laughs> 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 and it was that moment literally where um, uh, that, that, decision was made where I better get my crud together or, um, I'm going to lose my children. I'm going to lose my wife. And, uh, mm-hmm. I started going to more meetings and making my phone calls. And so that was just another life experience. Excellent. 
So Brandon, you brought something up and, and Colin, maybe you could speak to this a little bit more. You, you use the word inputs and I'd like to maybe explore that a little bit more with how that relates to like a real solid recovery. You know, we, people hear that word and like, oh, that means I need to read my scriptures and I need to do this and I need to do that. And then that means I'm going to be sober, but I don't think that's what you're getting at here. I think, I think maybe what you're speaking to Colin, and maybe you could add to this is the shift that took place when, when your wife asked if she could kick you out and then Brandon said, yes, it wasn't the kicking out part. That was the changing part. Was it, it was something there was some type of an emotional thing that came along with that. Yeah. Um, ultimately I, I would say fear, um, it, it, what, uh, most people in recovery would call this is a rock bottom situation. And not that that is in my opinion, recovery. I don't think it's recovery. I just think it's like, an, it, it, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's an initial pain. The pain has the pain of, um, of, the addiction has to outweigh the fear of like making a phone call or the, you know, doing, doing the work of recovery, getting to your meetings, writing, reading, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And so in that moment, the pain, you know, shifted where I, I was so scared of losing my family that I would do whatever it took in that moment. And not that my recovery was perfect because it took me many years, you know, in fact, I'm still in recovery. You guys like, like, I don't ever want to say that, that I'm um, perfect, you know, but what I would say is there was a shift in, in my understanding and, and that pain is useful, you know, in the beginning, uh, but it's, it's not something that will carry anyone through a long lasting recovery. Yeah. That's, that's my, that's my question, Colin, because I, I relate to what you're saying so much in my own personal journey where mine was similar, where my wife left me and all of a sudden, boom, it's in my face and I'm going to lose everything. And I realize how much I'm hurting people around me and, I have this desire to want to change, but it started as a fear-based thing. But over time, it started to shift into fear can't be the sustainable emotional drive for a long-term recovery. And I'm wondering, like, what was the process like? What's the process like been for you to shift fuel sources, so to speak? Yeah. From that fearful place into something else. Yeah. Well, I use um, an analogy with, with the guys that I work with. Um, and the analogy goes like this. There's like a money tree you know, and the money tree hands you money. You can grab, I don't know if you want to say a dollar bill or a $10 bill or a hundred dollar bill, even, but you can let's grab go with, this. Let's go with hundred. Okay. Yeah. Let's go. With 100. <laughs> I like that amount, <laughs> but, but you know, in just people in general and especially addicts, the sex addiction is like going to that tree and grabbing these a hundred dollar bills is pleasure that, you know, this, this feel good, um, you know, people would say dopamine rush, you know, and I don't care if it's sex. I don't care if it's gambling. I don't care if it's hanging around with your friends. You know, there are things out there that we get dopamine rushes from, but they're, they're not true joy. They're not necessarily true happiness. And yet like five or 10 miles down the road, you have this treasury, this treasure, you know, it's, and it's trillions of dollars, right? I'll expend all my energy pulling that hundred dollar bill, uh, you know, all those hundred dollar bills off that tree, recognizing that I never have to do that. You know, I just need to, you know, if I walk 10 miles, the joy is there, the trillion dollars, it's all there. I don't have to expend the energy, you know, once I get there necessarily, but I have to take the walk. And so taking the walk to me is doing the recovery work. Um, and, and that in itself is creating a habit. In essence, like I use the term addiction really, um, openly really widely and i think we're addicted to a lot of things like emotion 
you know, like anger, like uh, jealousy, like all, all of these, um, you know, things that aren't true joy. And um, if I, if I walk the walk, I'll start experiencing some of the benefits of, of recovery. So for example, like in the beginning, I, I was terrible at doing my work. You know, I think it took me five years to really start making phone calls. My, my wife found out when I was 27. And then there was that moment with Brandon, like five years later. And it was that moment where I really started making my phone calls. It was that moment that I first got a sponsor, you know, from an essay group. Um, and, and so that was just the beginning, you know? And so since then, like, I mean, life again happened me and me and my wife at some point joined amway you know and and part of you know i know right like i was like oh man <laughs> but like um in that process amway was big on like um every day you know listen to somebody some self-help person read a book and so through that process i really got good at reading um and i started writing uh and it took me years and years and even today i'm not perfect at it but if, if you were to ask me I read books every day, pretty much. I write almost every day. I pray almost every day. I still go to meetings and make phone calls to this day. Uh, and again, I'm not perfect at it. And I, you know, I hop on that wagon. Sometimes it's daily. I drop off the wagon. Sometimes I don't do it for a week or something like that. But, you know, for the most part, I do really well in those um, habits. And the difference is, is that, um, the knowledge and recovery comes slowly, but surely like line upon line, precept upon precept here, here a little and there a little, you know, it just comes. Um, and, and I can't like as a therapist or, or I could not give that to somebody. I just say, do it. And they have to figure it out, you know, and, and help people do that. And vice versa. Like if anybody tries to get me to do something like my sponsor today or not today, but like in, in the present, He'll ask me to make three phone calls a day or go to three meetings a week or something like that. And he can't make me do it. You know, I have to figure that out for myself. He can't pass that knowledge necessarily and experience onto me. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to thank you for teaching me that lesson. <laughs> <laughs> You're very welcome. <laughs> no, I, one, one thing I want to say is um, this, this analogy, I really like your analogy, the money tree. Um, it goes against our nature. Uh, and I think this is what makes addiction so difficult to overcome. If there's a money tree right there in front of me and it feels so good to pick that, uh, like, and it's so easy. Sometimes the money just falls off on my head. It's just like right there. Mm -hmm. And why am I going to hit that dusty road line upon line, you know, precept upon precept? Like, why am I going to hit that dusty road? Even if it's just five miles down the road, um, I'm good here because I get all this money. Right. And so uh, you have to grieve that you have to, you have to let go of wanting that in order to choose the thing that naturally our brains don't want us to do because it feels so good to just pick that money. Right. right? Yeah. Well, it's like, an, um, you know, I think eventually what you recognize is you spend so much energy pulling that a hundred dollars off of the tree. And you never really get what you want, which is true freedom. I don't care how many $100 bills you can pull off that tree. You don't own the world. You know, you don't, you don't own all things. But when I'm talking about the trillions of dollars, maybe the trillions of, the trillions of dollars is not even the right, you know, um, metaphor. It's, be, it's beyond that. It's, be, it's, it's so much greater. And so like, you know, yes, we sit there, we pull this money off of the tree. 
and we never achieve what it truly is that we're looking for. And so like when, when I work with people and, and in my own life, you know, I think what I'm looking for, and I think I call it the universal goal um, is that because everybody, I think, really seeks it throughout the entire world, which is and I call it core. And the reason I call it core is because I think that's who we are. It is our core, which is um, joy, happiness, positive connection, wholeness, fulfillment, confidence, like of uh, Yeah. Just all of that stuff. And, I, and that's not an exhaustive list. It just keeps going on. It's a really complex idea. But but pulling that money off the tree, the sex addiction, just in general, seeking for money, like wanting people to like me. You know, there's all of these different facets of it that do not really produce, you know, the trillion dollars at the end or, right. or you know, the true happiness, the core. And I think that's true recovery is yeah. seeking after and, and experiencing core. So yeah, the, the, that money is laced with poison. I mean, as yeah. you pick it, it gets on your fingers and it starts to, it starts to kill you. Um, and so it feels really good to pick it, but it's killing you. And it's not that core stuff that you're talking about. So I think um, what makes it, I think what makes it difficult a little bit is <clears throat> that it, it feels more tangible when you see it than all of those things that, that you're mentioning, the joy, the peace, the gratitude, the confidence, those are like, those are ideas that sound wonderful, but it's hard to actually <clears throat> tangibly hold those. And so what I'm hearing you say is, is that your recovery process really is this kind of like transition from, you used the word fear earlier and the grasping of like trying to have something tangible that's just continually flowing through your fingers to a transition into faith, really, of yeah. taking those steps forward and being able to experience, like even right now we could talk, like you and I could talk and say, I understand what you're saying when you say joy and peace and confidence. There's a lot of our listeners right now that are going like, what's that? Like, that's a figment of like, I don't even know if that's even possible in my life right now. But until you take that leap of faith and start to do the things that lead to those, that treasure, you know, you're, you never can fully put it into words what exactly the experience is. Yeah. You know, as you're talking, like the word comes to my mind, um, like we live in a delusion delusion is, is the word. Um, and I think like in, in psychological terms, like schizophrenia would be, a, you know, a, a very, um, you know, s similar experience, you know, somebody who has schizophrenia, um, they can experience a lot of paranoia because they have beliefs, you know, that something is real that isn't, you know, and to them it is, it is real. Like, like we're on this podcast together. We really believe that. Well, they really believe things that are not real, you know, um, to, to the general population of people. Right. And so for us, we believe that we will truly experience happiness. We will really experience joy and that connection through things that will not, uh, produce that, you know, so to actually experience joy, I don't think it's like, a a republic. I think it's, you know, um, a, uh, what I would, what I would call a dictatorship, you know, like, um, we don't get to choose anything to achieve joy. Uh, I think, you know, and an, an example that I always use is like making a cake. If you want an angel, a, a, an angel food cake, you know, the ones that we all know by, uh, like by, 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 by Betty Crocker, for example, like Betty Crocker doesn't put chocolate chips in her cake. I'm not saying it's not good or it wouldn't be better, but it's not, you know, the angel food cake, you can't 
remove the sugar. You can't put too much sugar in or too little or remove flour or eggs. I mean, um, you've got to have the right ingredients at the right amounts. You got to put it in the oven at the right, you know, temperature for the right amount of time. And if you do that, you'll pull out an angel food cake exactly like it was expected. And it's the same thing with joy. Joy is that cake. And you can't add, take away, do things differently um, to achieve it. And so sex addiction is not true joy. It's not. It seems like it. It's a really good imposter. It's that wolf's in, in sheep's clothing, you know. It really looks great. But the ultimate outcome is, it, you know, it's not joy. And I can, I can testify of that from my life. Yep. I'll, I'll go ahead, Tyler. I was just going to ask then to, to continue the analogy this of this angel food cake that you're talking about in your estimation and what you see with your clientele, what are the ingredients then of joy? Like what are the actual ingredients that yeah. lead to that? Okay. So this gets super deep and um, I don't know if, if we have enough time to go into this, but um <laughs> If you ever read, uh, it's Robert Diltz, uh, or, or go into neuro-linguistic programming. Um, uh, Robert Diltz, I think, uh, uh, has studied a lot of hypnosis uh, uh, by, the, by like the Ericksonian Institute, for example. But if you read some of his books, he talks about, uh, he calls them logical levels. And there's like the environment, um, there are skills, there are beliefs. Um, there's identity, like what I believe about myself rather than like what I believe about my circumstance and other people. And then there's like purpose. Um, and if I were to like, like in this moment with you guys, you know, if I were to, um, if, if I were to identify my emotion right now, I would, I would call it, I'm a little bit anxious, you know, and how I know that is because my heart, I can feel something. I don't even know what it is. I don't know how to describe it, you know, but maybe my heart's, you know, beating a little bit rapidly. Um, and yet at the same time, I'm confident in what I'm saying, you know, so I'm experiencing these different emotions. Um, and so in order to achieve that, I have to ask myself, like, well, what environment am I in? You know, because the environment is what, you know, we, we, we only have an emotion related to our environment. So here we are on a podcast, you know, and, and I'm with you guys. Um, and honestly, this isn't something I do every day. So like, how, how does my anxiety get produced in this? And I would say like my thought processes, you know, and some of my thought processes are things like, um, what if I screw up? You know, yeah. you're having a trauma response from our work together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hopefully it doesn't last long. Right. <laughs> yeah. But but there's a thought in there. And, and why do I care about if I screw up? Well, maybe, you know, people won't listen to me. What does it mean if people don't listen to me? Well, if people don't listen to me. That says that I didn't have anything good to say. Well, why do I care if I had anything good to say? Well, because it, then I'm not loved. I'm not accepted. I'm rejected. And ultimately that is bad. You know, so you can see my thoughts and my beliefs amid the circumstance. And that's cre probably creating some of my anxiety. And I have a physiological response to it that I interpret as anxiety. Um, the skills that I probably, um, that some people lack, I think I'm pretty good at this, but again, I lack in this as well. Some skills I, I uh, may not have, you know, if I'm, I'm really green at recovery is not being able to challenge those thoughts. 
you know, in order to experience peace, I need to be able to challenge those thoughts and find truth, you know, and there's a lot of skills I could talk about, but I'm trying to be short. Um, my skills right now would say that is not true that I'm a bad person, you know, at the, at the core there. I'm not a bad person. I'm a really good person. I have great worth, just like everybody else in this world. You know, and as I uh, challenge the other thoughts, nobody will listen to me. Well, that's not true. People got to listen to your guys' podcasts all the time. So they'll listen to this recording. Somebody will. Somebody might not like it. Some people may, you know, and it's going to fit some people and not others. And that's okay. And that doesn't determine my worth. So you guys can see like the skills and the, you know, the thoughts go together. And, and I already talked about a little bit of my identity. You know, when I'm in the right place, I know that I'm a good person, despite the circumstance, despite the environment, you know, and, and then I talked a little bit about purpose. Um, the purpose of this podcast is for all three of us to be able to help people. And it may or may not help everybody. And that's, I don't, I don't think that's our goal. Ultimately, I think the ultimate goal is to help certain people. But when I line that up, I relax, you know, and I truly experience joy and happiness and see purpose and goodness. Colin, I want to ask Beautiful. you with this, sure. I want to ask you, so let's say you take a, a man who's just struggling with his addiction and, mm -hmm. and has been shame-based his entire life, just, um, and he's just a shell of himself in terms of knowing who he is and, and his, his lens, his perspective is I'm a piece of crap who's unlovable. And so mm -hmm. he, he finds evidence of that everywhere he goes. Yeah. Um, every look that his wife gives him, every, everything that happens at work, every, he's, he's shame spiral spiraling all the time, all day yeah. long. Yeah. How, how do you start to, you talk about shifting, like, like really paying attention to your environment, shifting your thoughts and, and, and your beliefs. How do you start with somebody like that to actually start to experience something different in their life? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so if I, let me define emotion or components of emotion. I think emotion is hard to define, but the reason I'm doing this is because I think it'll play well in my uh, explanation. Okay. Emotion, you know, shame was what you talked about. Shame is an emotion and, and it's a huge factor when it comes to addiction. Um, shame, shame or emotion is composed of um, three things, in my opinion, physiological response. You know, so we have a body, we have a brain and we have all these senses, you know, and, and it creates physical sensation, whether like I talked about my heart beating or tension, you know, in my shoulders or, you know, and so we experience that. Second component is um, uh, the brain. You know, the brain uh, interprets things for us, right? And um, so when I, when I had that heart pounding and, and the uh, tension in my shoulders, I might call that anxiety, you know? And then I also might interpret that as being really bad and I've got to get rid of it, you know? So that all of that interpretation uh, happens as a response to the third item, which is an environment. So when we're in addiction, that is our environment. And we have beliefs like if my wife finds out, you know, if people at my church find out, if anybody finds out, then, you know, hell is all going to break loose. And so that and our body reacts to that. It goes into tension, and you know, um, and then we interpret that. Right. And we try and get rid of it. And we're just in a crazy state where we're not able to get out of that. So we have to deal with that like ASAP. And 
Um, when people walk into my office, this is how I work with them. They walk in, we do an assessment, you know, to help them understand if, if they don't believe they have an addiction or if they're, they're questioning that, you know, the assessment helps them understand where they are. You know, it's not so much for me as it is for them, I think. Um, and then what happens is, is I give them five things to do and they're dailies and I call them dailies. Then they're not all dailies in the, it, like we do them every day, but most of them are. So I tell them to get spiritual. A lot of guys that come into my office that don't believe in God, and I'm not telling them to believe in God. I just tell them to get spiritual. I have them read recovery literature. My favorite book is the white book from essay because it's not too graphic, you know, like some um, books on addiction can talk about you know, pornography or, you know, stories that can be triggering. But so the white book is a good place to start. Third thing that I have them do is write. And writing is an evaluative process. You know, it's like, um, where are you? How are you feeling? Becoming aware. It's a really good way of, of becoming aware of yourself. I tell them to go to no fewer than three meetings a week. You know, and I don't tell them to go to, I, I don't like specify, go to Sexholics Anonymous or go Sex Addicts Anonymous or you know, all these other acronym meetings, you know, I don't, I don't decide that for them. Um, but I ask them to go to a minimum of three a week. And then the fifth one is making phone calls. I say minimum of one phone call a day. Uh, but really, I think three phone calls a day, you know, is is much uh, better. And I know that they don't know how to use those tools effectively from the get go, you know, and I know that just scares the the Jesus out of people, you know, they look at that. I had one guy say, well, this is like a college course, Colin. I said, yeah, you betcha. I mean, this is addiction. It's got graphs on you and, it, and it's difficult to get out. And so it takes a lot of work to get out of it. Um, but many of those people, when I share those, I'll come back the next week. Actually in first sessions, what I'll do is like, when you walk out that door, I want you to call me because I know you haven't gone to a meeting. Call me when you get out. I will not answer, but leave a message on my phone because I'm in session or whatever. And so usually they don't do all their work and they'll come back the next week. And, and as a therapist, what I do in the very beginning of session is I don't go to get into stories. I don't get into pain. I ask them out of the last seven days, what did you do for your dailies? And I'll just go down the list. Prayer out of the last seven days. How many days did you pray morning and night? And I don't care if you believe in God or not. I mean, that prayer, prayers like meditation to me, it doesn't mean praying, you know, and directly to God on your knees to me. Um, but anyhow, so I'll ask those and, and, and getting really focused on those is super important because addicts do not have the habit of a growth mindset. They don't have it and they need it. And so holding them accountability, if you, if you come to my meetings, not just my therapy sessions, but I do like three men's meetings, you know, um, for example, and when you come to at least two of those, we start with our, with our dailies. And so it's a constant, like we've got to focus and be aware of what we're doing and, and focus on the positive aspects rather than the negative, because that's how we change. They, they start experiencing the change when they do their work. I see. That's walking that road. Yeah. Yeah. It's changing. It's also changing the environment and helping them do that. Because when you don't have a habit, when there's accountability to those things, um, they don't, we don't do it, but if there's accountability, we tend to do it. And we actually, you know, you're talking about shame. I don't believe in, in shaming anybody. And it's not that that practice is not meant to shame people who come into my office. When I ask them that question can get really shameful because they say things like, um, I didn't do it. And then their head bows and I say, wait a second, this isn't about shame. This is just about focus. 
you'll get there. And guys daily is over time really start improving, but it's, it's starting to walk that walk between the money tree and the treasure. And then they start, when they start walking, then they start reaping the benefits slowly, but surely as they walk. Right. It's the, it's embracing the pain of passing up the money tree and taking those first few steps. Cause people think, Oh, once I'm in recovery, I'll feel better. And it's like, actually it's going to be difficult for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it might but, get worse. <laughs> but, but if I take the steps, it will get better. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, Colin, you talk about um, the, the core uh, and in, when I do intakes, I always ask people, um, I always ask people, what is recovery? And um, what, what do you guys think the answer I get a lot of times? I, I stopped my bad habit. Yeah, I would yeah. probably agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> That's like 90%. And I love when they say that because they, they set me up perfectly. Um, <laughs> you gave I your stopped, secret away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Dang it. Um, I start, I stopped my compulsive behavior. I stopped my bad habit. They're really focused on the don't on the stopping the behavior piece of things and, and really looking at the acting out as the problem. And, um, as, as we all know, the acting out is not the problem. Um, that's the symptom. Um, and the, the problem is something much deeper and, you know, recovery to me is, it, it's, it's this kind of ambiguous thing. That's like, oh, recovery. What is this thing? It's not that ambiguous. Recovery to me is recovering an understanding of who you really are. And when you realize that, when you realize you're unconditionally loved by God, when you realize how powerful you are, when you realize how much purpose you have in this world, in this life, the addiction starts to evaporate, starts to go away. And, um, and then they're living in light. They're, they're radiant. And, um, and they start to connect to God, self, and others. And it's this beautiful thing that starts to take place. I saw it take place in you, Colin. Um, so it's, it is real. It is a real thing. And you guys can hear it today with Colin. Um, but I think what you're talking about, Colin, all the stuff that you're saying is not just helping guys stop acting out. It's like you say, it's so much deeper than that. Um, and the, the healing is a spiritual healing. That's why I love 12 steps because it's a, it's, it's a process of healing on a spiritual level. And I think a lot of people don't understand that. Yeah. You know, um, recovery, like you are saying, is much bigger than just stopping a behavior. And, and I, what I would say to people, you know, this may be hard to hear because when I was in addiction, um, if somebody said this was a blessing, I would like be like, oh, yeah, right. You know, yeah. like that is so not true. But um, being where I am now, like, um, uh, one of the 12 step promises is that, uh, you won't wish to close the door, you know, on your past, you know, and, and part of that is seeing this as a blessing, you know, I look at my recovery now. Um, I'm very open, uh, you know, about my story. Now I used to be very close. And to me, that's a huge sign of recovery for anybody. Um, and, uh, I would not be where I am today with the knowledge and, uh, the skills to be able to work through, you know, my current imperfections, you know, I'm, I'm just so much, um, 
more knowledgeable about that. And I can get through things a lot quicker than I ever could before. And uh, so what the addiction did is it really focused in on all of my problems in my life. Right. And it's super painful, you know, um, but through all of that, now I can say I am so imperfect. You know, I like, I have so many problems. Don't get me wrong. Just like everybody in this world. And yet it's okay. You know, big deal. And, um, Life will continue to happen and I'll continue to be blessed in my problems and my problems, you know, just continue to educate me. And so I look forward to them, like mm-hmm. bring it on. You know what I mean? That, you know, that, <laughs> but they're a blessing and they're no longer a curse. I don't have to get away from them. I can just experience them and, and uh, live and joy through them. And have gratitude for them. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think that really is a true sign of transformation when you look at that past history and and this is with anything trauma or addiction or whatever and you realize you realize that the life that you're now living that you love could not be there without the experience that you've had. Yeah. And and when you come to peace with that it means that there's that's what Brandon's saying there's like it's not a mental thing it's an emotional and spiritual thing that happens from the inside out that goes I am now more congruent with the life that God designed me to live now as a result of having been through the brokenness than I ever would have been without having traveled that path. Right. And, and once you have it settle into your soul, it's like the choices to go and change are a lot easier. Like you don't have to go muster up the motivation. The motivation is already there. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting concept too. Like what I've noticed about myself is like through this process, um, if I try and start a habit, you know, like um, like a new a new positive habit, whatever that may be, um, a blessing is that I'm I'm so much better at it. You know, like I had a terrible habit, I've had to gain new habits. You know, like the prayer, the reading, the writing, you know, the dailies. Um, and as I've done that, if I want to start another habit, like still takes time but the blessing of that is that it comes a lot quicker because i know the the uh i, I have some more skill process. i guess yeah, yeah. skill and you also have confidence because you won you you, yeah. you know how to win now and when yeah. it comes easier once you learn how to do it well that walk from again remember like that walk from the uh, money tree to you know core you know to, um once you've walked it once or twice or three times, depending on the problems in your life, it's not just a, addiction is not our only problem in our life. And so the more times we walk it, we realize, oh my gosh, I can just keep walking. And that's what I'm saying about just living life. Like as life comes, I know the, that, that, the, that, that, that core 10 miles away, that, that trillion dollars that we described, it's there. All I have to do is keep walking. And, and that knowledge in and of my, of itself is just, um, it's, it's super comforting to know that, yes, I'm imperfect. I may not have everything that I, you know, want right now, but it will come if I just keep walking. And so, yeah, I, th- I think that's very comforting to know. So anybody in recovery, working on the recovery, like I was talking to one of my essay buddies yesterday, we, we spoke on the phone for two hours, you know, nice. um, but it, he, he's not he was struggling, you know, in his recovery. And I just said to him, don't worry about it, man. It will come because I know it will. It does. If you just stay in the process. I, uh, in the first, 
I, I do this foundations group. And in the first group, I'm talking to these people who are brand new and just, just starting off. And I'm, I'm telling them, look, I tell them the story. I say, look, when I started as a therapist, I sucked at therapy. And this is right when I, I met Colin. <laughs> yeah, Colin, Colin was um, the guinea pig. Like, I, sucked at, <laughs> I sucked at therapy. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't like, I was doing the best I could, but I was learning. And somehow, some way, there's, there's plenty of clients that I worked with back then that still found recovery. And the point that I'm making is it's those people that come in and know that that's what they're going to create. They know they're going to find peace. They know they're going to find joy. Despite crappy therapists, despite whatever resources they get, they take one step and then another step in that direction. And I tell you what, Colin, just, uh, it, I, I don't take any credit for this, but just hearing you talk today is like, it's like years in the making of it's, it's just the wonderful blessings that we get as therapists to see you like this right now is you, I can't describe how I'm feeling right now. It's beautiful. Yeah. And to know that you're, you're solid with your wife and you're a good father and like all the, all the goodness that is happening as a result of you stepping up and into your recovery, like sometimes there's payoffs as a therapist and just to see this is amazing for me. So I really appreciate just you coming on and talking as an expert today. Um, it's just really awesome. It's so really refreshing to um, to see a man who has kind of been in a space where he wasn't living his best life or the life God intended him to live and a man who has found that and to feel, you can feel it. You can feel the energy that's different. You can hear the confidence and yeah, that's, that's basically what you brought. I, I wish we would have recorded an episode 10 years ago and then had the contrast. That would be awesome. <laughs> because, because, you know, you know, Colin, like Tyler, we get the, the question all the time. Is recovery even real? Like, is it even a real thing? Is it possible? Will my husband ever, ever heal? Can I heal myself? Um, yeah, it's real. We're, we're talking to a man in recovery and, and you don't need to become a therapist to be in recovery, that that might not be your path. But you find what Colin's talking about, that core stuff, the joy, the peace, the love, all those things, and you can find it again. Yeah. Colin, we're, we're just about out of time here. Um, if thinking about kind of the, the, the population that's listening to our podcast or people who have traveled the exact road that you've traveled, uh, any last things that you would want to say to somebody who was in your spot six or seven or 10 years ago, uh, as a last, the last word. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the most important things, if I could, um, if I could share that with you is kind of telling a little bit of my story again, is like, I never, ever thought I was going to be free of this ever. That was my mindset. I tried everything in my power. Well, at least I believe that, you know, and um, I mean, I can't tell you how many groups I dropped out of. I can't, you know, I think I went through six therapists, just so everybody knows. Um, I don't know how many meetings I went to, you know, like, and, um, you know, I had, a, I had trouble giving myself grace, you know, uh, for all the mistakes that I made. Um, but I can, I guess the advice that I would give anyone is do not give up. 
I don't like, I don't care if you leave one therapist to go to another or leave a therapist to go to another 12 step group, or, you know, you leave a 12 step group to talk to your ecclesiastical leader, or you do all of it. You know, I believe that life experience, you just keep living, you just keep at it and it will come, it, you know, the, the right steps will reveal themselves to you and you'll make, you know, the, the right pain will happen, you know, for you to find that place that I found, which was, you know, I'm, which is rock bottom, you know, that led me to recovery. Um, I, you know, Brandon's experience of like saying that he wasn't a very good therapist when he was seeing me, you know, I say what a perfect, you know, um, experience to help people know that there is a higher power, whatever that means to yeah. you, Yeah. you know, that, that leads us all, whether you're a helper or whether you're the addict who needs help, you know, that the higher power, our higher power leads us, you know, to recovery because our higher power is all benevolent and all good and loves us so dearly. He knows exactly what we need and recover. Just guys, you know, just so you know, I started when I was 12 and I didn't truly start getting into recovery problem. Well, I said I was in recovery the whole time, but the recovery was slow and I didn't start making like getting clean probably until I was 32. Okay. And so, and I know people who are in their seventies who are getting, who are just finding the recovery. So, um, don't give up. It, it comes. Yeah. Hey, Colin, where can people find you? Yeah. So I have two websites. Uh, one is www.keyroots.com and that's K I R U T Z. Um, and then I have another website that's just Colin a Hanson.com and that's C O L L I N two L's a Hanson H A N S E N. Awesome. Thanks, yeah, Colin. Appreciate Thank having you. you on the show. Thanks, Thank guys. You so much, appreciate Colin. you. Yeah. You guys, if you found this helpful, don't be afraid to share it. Um, this is a great episode to share. It's a real example of recovery. We, we really talked about what it is. So if, if somebody's struggling out there, then send, a, send us their way. Thank you. Thanks, guys.